0: This message is brought to you by the Covenant Nation. Let's take a confession before we start. Once ago, as I sit to listen to the Word of God today, a door of utterance has been opened unto us, and I hear the voice of God clearly speaking to me. This is the way to go, work ye in it. I listen under the influence of the Spirit of God, and I'm not distracted by anything or anyone. The Word of God is food to my spirit. I am strengthened by it this morning. It is wine to my heart, creating joy within me. It is oil to my face, causing my life to shine, giving me victory in everything that I do. As my eyes make contact with the scriptures used in this message, the Spirit of God opens new things to me. He also brings to my remembrance things Jesus once showed me. I come to understand God's system on the earth, and I receive instruction, encouragement, correction, and to live out God's will. Amen. All right, today I want to bring to a close, uh, in terms of teaching, but not in terms of practice, um, the, the series on the love of God that we have been sharing. And we said uh, the love of God there, there are four Greek words that mean love. Uh, the first one is eros which is an attraction, a physical attraction, between people of the uh, opposite sex, which is when a person says, I have fallen in love, all right, with another person. It's almost like I've lost control of my senses with another person. almost what, what falling in love means. That is a falling, which means I have been overtaken by something. And what they are referring to there, that feeling there is eros. Then you have the kind of love you have between family members, brothers, sisters, uh, father to children. Um, um, That family love there is called a stodge. It's also the kind of love that you have in terms of patriotism to your nation, right? That's that love. It's called stodge or a team that you love and it's like you are loyal to. There is an underpinning of loyalty in that particular love there. Then the third is called filial, which is what is found among friends. And that's when you have classmates, old friends, uh, or people that are friend, on friendly terms, they have what is called filial. So it's that type of love that it is said that Jesus had. Specifically for Lazarus, he says, Lazarus, whom Jesus loved. In other words, he was friends. The uh, the Bible says that when David met Jonathan, God knit their hearts together, and they became fast friends. In other words, you have chemistry with this person. As it is, you say we gel together, and you become friends. And it is that kind of love that is described by the word filial. Now, all these three types of loves are expressions of emotions, all right, towards people. And these emotions came without the authorization or the permission of the person who expresses them. In other words, it wasn't a decision you made to love your brother or sister it wasn't a decision you made to love your nation or, you know, make a decision, a person to fall in love with somebody else, or it's not a decision there by your own self to say I'm going to be friendly is something that just you find on the inside of yourself. But when it comes to agape love, this is not an expression of an emotion. It is a quality decision that the individual makes. And that decision that the individual makes is that I will seek the highest good of every single person that I interact with regardless of how that person responds or treats me. So it's a decision, a quality decision that you have made in your heart, which means this is how I am going to live my life on this earth. I am going to be a channel that God can use to bless people and to help others. And I will always seek the highest good of that person. And so we said any of these other three types of love can be contaminated by Satan. The reason why people that might have heroes go for divorce is that it's been contaminated with strife and unforgiveness or even competition and bitter envy. Friends can become real fools and they have absolute hatred one for another because it has been contaminated. And so the only way that that type of love or these other three types doesn't get contaminated is that it is underguarded, so to speak, by agape. In other words, if you make me, my friend, feel in a certain way by a comment you have made, I will override that feeling and ultimately still seek your highest good. Now, in seeking the highest good of a person, it might be the temporal withdrawal of fellowship with that person. I mean, there's somebody today we talk almost, maybe we talk two, three times every day. We chat. But we are very close. In the past, I used to speak every day, but he did something, and and are lines, as far as I'm concerned, you don't cross, all right? Even if we have a private debate, you don't go on social media and trying to win a debate that has nothing to do with social media. So I realized that, no, this person is not the kind of person you want to be friends with in terms of this. What if there was something very sensitive you had between yourselves? This is how you would go to social media and do all of that. So I withdrew, all right, fellowship from that person. And, you know, I just withdrew it. And, you know, one time he called me. He said, even if it takes 20 years, I'm going to wait this relationship. I'm still going to get this relationship back. So I, I joked with him and I said, listen, all I'm doing is my heart is right towards you, but I'm just practicing social distancing. You, you get what I'm saying? It was during COVID time that there should just be some distance so that when you stretch your hand to hit me, I'm too far away from you. All right, until I know that there has been a change in your heart. And there's been a radical change in his heart and change in his ways. And he saw an opportunity at one point in time to get back into my life. And he did something that I knew this chap has actually changed there and it was changed. I mean, we had a conference here, all right, for pastors, and it's not a small pastor. He told me, me, said, I tried to register, and I said, ah, if you register, let me know you are around. He said, no, that will not happen. All right, he sat at the back with people that obviously look up to him and all of that, but he was taking his notes there and told me, so I knew there was a change that had happened, but there had to be that withdrawal and separation in order for that kind of change to occur inside his heart. So, agape love seeks, all right, the highest good of an individual and searches for that. And last week we talked about how this agape love, and I want to zero in on this because bitterness contaminates this, how it affects what we call our inheritance. You see, the Bible is called the Old, we call it the Old and the New Testament, all right? The New Testament is what is called the will of God or the new will of God. Uh, the Bible says that a testament only comes into force when the testator dies. It's after the death of a testator that a testament comes into force. So what does it mean by that? It says that in Hebrews. It means that where, for where a testament is, there must also be a necessity of the death of the testator. Verse verse 16 says, "For a testament is of force after men are dead; otherwise, is of no strength at all, while the testator what liveth." So, what he's talking about is a will. All right, a will is written while a person is alive. But if a father writes a will or a mother writes a will to transfer inheritance to the children, The children cannot take that document while they are alive and go and make a claim on it so long as they are alive. What actually causes it now to become your own is after they have died. For the will or the testament means this is what should be given to this child after I die. But it is written while the parent is alive, but it only comes into force when the parent dies. So the New Testament contains what is called the will of the father for us. In other words, the will of the father means the inheritance he has described that he is transferring to his children. But that will could not come into effect until Jesus went to the cross and died. And when he died, then the New Testament, which is called the new will, has now come into operation. So it contains the inheritance we should have on the earth. Now, the Old Testament was when God was lighting the will. Do you get what I'm saying here? All right. He was writing the will. The prophets, when they were prophesying, the Bible says that our tongue is a pen of a ready writer. So he used the tongue of men to write the will so that after he died now, he now says what I have written, all right, can now come into effect in your life. So we are looking at this inheritance there, the inheritance of God. Colossians chapter 1 verse 4 and verse 5 tells us. We want to look at it. Since the day we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love, this agape we're talking about, you have to all the saints. Why? It says, for the hope that is laid up for you in heaven whereof you heard before of the word of the truth of the gospel. So there's an expectation you should have as a Christian. In other words, there is a hope that is laid up for you in heaven. And when the gospel was preached to you, it was this hope that was laid up for you in heaven you were told about. Now this hope or this expectation that you have in life there is this inheritance. For if you go to 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 2 to verses 4. 1 Peter 1, 2 to 4. Sorry, three. Let's start reading from three so that we don't go through all this. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. That's that hope now. We got born again to that hope. Born into God's family to that hope. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now what's the hope? To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. Can you put verse 4 in the Amplified Version? Just verse 4, please, in the Amplified Version. It says, Born anew into an inheritance which is beyond, the reason why it's kept in heaven is that God wants it beyond the reach of change or devaluation and decay, that it is imperishable, unsolid, and unfading, reserved in heaven for you. So we all have an inheritance that is reserved in heaven for us. And I want to show how we access what this inheritance is and how we access this inheritance. Because many Christians are living without this inheritance. So Kenneth Hagin used to tell a story of a man, a woman who was dying or had a condition in her body and called the family doctor that came in and the doctor came to the house of the first time and Doctor looked at her, and she, she, it came from malnourishment, and that was a result of poverty. And one time I was looking through things. He stumbled on something on her wall, and he said, what is this? Oh, he said, oh, my father left it for me all right, when he died. This is all he left for me. And he looked through it and read the thing. And the doctor said, have you read this? He said, well, I can't read. read, All right. He brought it down. He says, don't you know that this is the will your father left for you And this is all the landed property you have in this place. You mean you are not aware. Now, even though she had an inheritance, that inheritance was not reflective in her life because she wasn't aware of the inheritance. Do you get what I'm saying? So she was living in a condition that did not show that she had an inheritance. And many Christians are living in conditions today That doesn't demonstrate in any way this inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. This inheritance is the hope of Christianity. In other words, the hope means that you got saved. The excitement of Christianity, the expectation of Christianity. Paul talking about this in Ephesians chapter 1, all right, and verse 17. He prayed about this. He said, For this cause, all right, he says, Let's start from 16. He said, For this cause I buy, cease not to give thanks, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes, now note that, of your understanding or your eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That you may know. Remember, it's a hope that is reserved for you in heaven. He says the hope, i put the scripture back, the hope of his calling. Now, in the original rendering, it doesn't say and. It says the hope of his calling The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. In other words, that hope that is laid before us is that inheritance and is the riches of this inheritance that he has for the saints. There is wealth. That's the hope that we have there. That there is a measure of wealth that God has for the born again Christian. Now, This wealth is not subject to change or decay, so it's not monetary. The wealth is not in naira, pounds, or dollars. The inheritance is not landed property that a physical father will give you. It's not cars. It's not jobs. That's not the inheritance. This inheritance is something that when we start receiving it, we can now make use of it In our everyday life, to produce things. And the things that we produce will ultimately now lead, in some cases, to physical wealth, in some cases, all right, to influence them, in some cases, to positions, all right, in society, in case it becomes reflective in your career, and it's your career I want to talk about, all right, today. So, it says that it is this inheritance. Paul called it in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8. He spoke about it. He said, I have come to preach. Me whom I'm less than the least of the saints is this grace given. That I shall preach among the Gentiles. The unsearchable riches. His prayer was that their eyes will be opened to see these riches there. He says, I'm preaching this unsearchable. Unsearchable means it can be calculated and can never be used up. This riches here cannot be measured. It is immeasurable. In other words, you can never all right, use up all of this inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 11 and verse 33 speaks about it. Or the depth of the riches, now it tells us what it is, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. So, the riches are the depth of God's wisdom and God's knowledge. This whole earth was created by his wisdom And through his knowledge. Now, what he has for us, that he wants to give us, is his wisdom and his knowledge. And he says, the riches of this wisdom and knowledge. He says, his judgments are past finding out. In Colossians chapter 3, chapter 2, and verse 3. It says, in whom I hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So it's wisdom and it is knowledge, or the knowledge of God's wisdom. Now what's the meaning of that? So what he wants to give to us, I mean, I forgot to quote the scripture. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 and 15 is the same thing he's talking about here. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your consciousness from dead works that you might serve the living God. Then he says in 15, and for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that this is the testament now, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called may do what? Receive. The promise of this eternal inheritance. So, it is that you may receive this in eternal inheritance. That's why he is mediator. What's this inheritance, we have seen it to be wisdom and knowledge or the knowledge of wisdom. Now, what does that do? Mark 6, verse 2. You'll see what this does now. When a, a human being begins to receive this wisdom, all right, Mark 6, 2. When Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many hearing him were astonished and said, from when this man these things? And what wisdom is this, which is given unto him, that's Jesus, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands. Now, the mighty works are massive things that you are doing by reason of this wisdom. So, this wisdom comes into a person and they build massive companies. Do you get what I'm saying here? This wisdom enters into a person and mighty works. Now, when you do those mighty works, then the mighty works will result in finances, it will result in influence, it will result. But the inheritance is not those things first. Are you following what I'm saying yeah? The inheritance is wisdom, know-how. Now, once you have that kind of knowledge, all right, that is rare, uh, that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, he said, what no man's eyes have seen, what no man's ears have heard, what the heart of no man has conceived, God has prepared. This is inheritance. Folks, let me tell you this. If man found out how to solve malaria, they found the drug. They found the drug and how to treat tuberculosis and do other. that. God knows how to cure cancer. Do you get what I'm saying? God in his mind knows how to cure cancer. Inside that inheritance is the cure to cancer. If anybody finds out how to cure cancer and brings out a drug that cures cancer, that person, his generation, five generations after will not know poverty if Jesus tarries. Do you get what I'm saying? here? And you can't tell me that God... Doesn't know how to do it, and God is not trying to get it across to humanity. You can't tell me that God is looking at people dying, their bodies getting emaciated of cancer, eating them, they're in abject pain, and He sits down there and He doesn't say that, Look, I am trying to get it. You know why we're not getting it? All right, because you know, in America, you know, American football, eh? America, they throw the ball, eh? You know, there's the quarterback. And the quarterback begins to look for somebody that is free and then throws the ball and you have a receiver. You see, if you don't know the rules of the game, you will just be saying the quarterback do this. You won't know that they are trying to throw the ball to you. So God is trying to throw things. We are looking for money around, looking for jobs. Do you get what I'm saying here? While God is trying to throw wisdom, we are trying to receive jobs. He's trying to throw wisdom, we are trying to receive money. He's trying to throw wisdom, we are trying to receive cars. But once we know his wisdom is throwing, that's why you can't, look, that is what the world people and thinking Christians are saying it, that look, you can't bring a prosperity message. And inside that prosperity message there, the only way people prosper financially is by offering a product or service that in exchange for you to bring money. There's no magic about prosperity. If you offer a product nobody is offering and is usable and workable in the lives of the people and relieves them of labor, which means it's a labor-saving device that will give you money for it. So, I have been in Abuja this morning, I, 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 yesterday, I have been in Ilori, I'm back again, this afternoon. if I was to start walking around the whole place, I won't be here. Somebody created a plane, which is a labor-saving device. Because of that, I'm willing to part money to be able to get there on time. Do you get what I'm saying here? If somebody says, I'll take you by a horse, the money I'll give to him is different from if someone says, I will fly you. Because one has saved me of more labor than another. Do you get what I'm saying here? Because if I was coming by a horse, I won't be here now. And I'll be in pains on the back of the horse. So what he wants to communicate our inheritance is that he wants to pour out this thing, which means a young person who has the inheritance of God in their mind, a Christian, nobody will beat you in the class. Nobody. All Christians will be the head and not the tail. That means you'll be on the top of the class because you are dealing with knowledge of wisdom. That's what Daniel had. He and his friends, that they had 10 times more understanding than everybody that were in their realm that god's mind entered into their mind they received that inheritance and they demonstrated it that's what joseph had when he was in uh, working in potiphar's house potiphar noticed that anything you touch that is the look when a person is like that you keep that kind of person when a person is like that you can sack every other person but that person Jacob said, I've um, sorry, Laban, I've learned by experience concerning Jacob. Since you're coming in here, things have multiplied. Why? Because of that wisdom that he had inside his soul. That's inheritance. Now, once you have that inheritance, he says, What no man's eyes have seen. That's what God wants to show us. What no man's ears have heard. So mighty works are done. Another thing is Proverbs 24, verse 13 to verse 14. It tells us, Proverbs 24, 13, My son eat honey, which is good, and the honeycomb, which is sweet sweet to thy taste. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be to thy soul when you have found it. There shall be a reward, which means when you discover this knowledge of wisdom, and what's the reward? Your expectation cannot be cut off. In other words, any goal you set for yourself, you reach it if you find out how to get there. Do you get what I'm saying? So if your expectation will not be cut off and you say in five years' time I'm going to be at this particular position in my life and you are declaring that, what you should be praying for is the knowledge of wisdom that will not make that expectation cut off. Isn't that what you should be asking for? Because everything in life is works by the law of cause and effect. That's what science is. Which means that if something is wrong, there's a reason why it is wrong. If something will go this way, there's a reason why. Once you find the reason why, then you've got the outcome you can predict. You can predict the outcome once you understand the method of getting it. So that knowledge of wisdom comes on this. This is the inheritance God wants to give. So what Satan is trying to do, and this is where love comes in, is to push us into bitterness and unforgiveness because once you get into bitterness there and you are angry I don't want to say something here about, about people particularly young people here and you have your career in front of you all right as you go on there's, there's, there's something you must never get yourself involved in you see and once you get bitter and you you, you get bitter and you are angry all right about things and, and people are bitter and all of that and, and and you know society today with social media is almost work now to be bitter in other words, anybody who is reasonable now, all right, is like, why can you be reasonable? You must be bitter. So people now, it's almost like, let's get bitter. And since that is stylishly pushing people to a place where they won't be able to get that wisdom. Because he says in James 3, verse 13 and verse 14, remember through this wisdom, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you, Let him show out of a good conversation, which means behavior. His works, which means he will demonstrate works with the meekness of wisdom. Look at what he says there. But if you have bitter envy and strife, in other words, the opposite of this wisdom is bitterness and strife. So once he gets you into a place where you get bitter... All right, it gets you into a place. And let me just say this here. If you are bitter about anything, then you don't have wisdom concerning that thing. Once there's bitterness, there's no wisdom. Uh, so if somebody says, I'm in a relationship somebody, they broke up with men, I'm bitter about it, it. What God is just trying to tell you is that you didn't have wisdom in that relationship. That's all.
1: Uh, you can say, I did my best.
0: Your best is not, doesn't measure mean it's not best. This life is not, I did my best. You have to do it the right way. And so God wants to teach. Okay? So if there's bitter, anything there, and, and, and all right, he wants to teach that wisdom. That's why He tells us in, in Job chapter 35, verse 8. All right? We saw this last week. All right? Quickly. It says this, Thy wickedness may hurt a man as thou art. Thy righteousness may profit the son of man. He says, verse 9, it says this, Quickly now, all right. By reason of the multitude of oppression, they make the oppressed to cry. So the oppressor cried. But he says they cry by reason of the arm of the mighty. Now, look, there's an oppressive arm here. But none saith. God says nobody is asking him for wisdom. Nobody is saying that come, I can be this. The, no, no, I need wisdom here. None saith. Where is God, my Maker, who giveth songs in the night? And he says who teacheth us more than the beasts of the earth? and makes us wiser than the fowls, which means to have more wisdom, than, and and I'll show you this, than even a person who is trying to oppress you. Now, instead of getting bitter at that person, just ask God, grant me the wisdom to outsmart this person. So that we are gentle as doves, harmless, we don't hurt anybody, but boy, when it comes to strategy, you won't see us. We will strategize 10 years and be behaving like it's only today we are seeing. And by the time the game starts, you will know that these are the masters of the universe. But you go to him and ask for wisdom. You know, the Bible says wisdom is better than strength in war. A person who is wise is better than a person who is strength in war. So let's give an example here. Look at 1 Samuel here. Just look at David. 1 Samuel, chapter 18 and verse 5. Just look at David. The Bible says, And David went out with us whoever Saul sent him. This was after he had killed Goliath, so he was under Saul. And you might be in your career and see this here. You are under a person in your career. Now, please get this here. It says, sent him, and he behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. And it was accepted in the sight of all people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now verse 13. Let's go to verse 13. So something happened. David came after he returned. So everybody began, what happened not because of time? Everybody began to say that. Oh, David kills tens of thousands. Saul kills thousands. So envy came into the heart of Saul. So Saul took a spear and started throwing it and wanted to destroy David. All right, this was the same man that promoted David and made him over the army. He now said, I'm going to destroy you. Now, in verse 13, what happened? He demoted David. Therefore, Saul removed him from him, said, You won't be around me as one of my power brokers, and made him captain over a thousand. Demoted him, and he went out and came in before the people. Verse 14. The Bible says, and David behaved himself wisely. Not bitter. David behaved himself what? Wisely. He didn't get bitter. This man was demoted. David didn't get angry and start saying, I'm going to be angry. The Bible says he behaved himself what? Wisely. Look at what now happened. All right? In all his ways, and the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid. He knew that this man, he was afraid. So a person, you are inside an office, they demote you, and your countenance doesn't change. Because what Satan is trying to do is to provoke you into bitterness. That's all he wants to do. Your countenance doesn't change. You come the same morning, you are acting the same way, as though nobody did anything to you. They put you, you are over 100,000, they put you over 1,000, and you are there arranging things for the 1,000, and you call up the person who is in 100,000. Is there anything I can do for you inside right now in the office and handle this and handle this? Won't everybody, because they're expecting you to come and have a mood and be angry. But you see, when you go to God in wisdom and He teaches you wisdom. He says, who is a wise man? Let him show out of his conversation, his meekness. You, that David, they knew. And from that behavior, Saul knew that this throne I'm talking about is going to this guy. But he was throwing tantrums and he was angry and he was doing all of that. Do you know that Saul even planned for the death of David? He said he would go and be fighting the Philistines without the right support. David still behaved wisely. Won those battles. He didn't get angry. Because the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter chapter 10 and verse 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 4. It says, if the spirit of the ruler rises up against thee, leave not your place, for yielding will pacify great offenses. In life, if the person who is boss, one day they rise up against you, resignation is not the key. Satan is trying to get you out of something. That matter must be settled before you resign. Put the Amplified of uh, um, Ecclesiastes 10.4 here. Put it. It says, If the temper of the ruler rises up against you, do not leave your place or show a resisting spirit. For gentleness and calmness prevent or put a stop to great offenses. In other words, that behavior will stop that aggressive thing that is coming from the ruler. Is wisdom. But if so many guys, someone say. Oh, 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 oh. parents begin, you know, the Bible says fathers provoke not your children, so fathers can, can rise up, I want to provoke, even if the father don't want to provoke, and the child, can you imagine the father is the one now, the elder person, he's trying to provoke the child, and the child is pacified, but, ah, the father would know, this child is wiser than me. Do you get know what I saying? So he wants to get you into bitterness. So anytime, all right, there's a push to get you into bitterness, it's a time to go up to God to get wisdom. And let me just close by saying this here. Remember, the Bible says that we we serve the living God. And it says that that we might receive, all right? Put up Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, all right? How much more through the blood of Christ, through the eternal Spirit, offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And then verse fifteen says, for this cause. All right? he's the mediator of a New Testament by means of death through the redemption of transgressions that were under the first. They which are called may receive. Which means it's in that service I want to show you that you receive the eternal inheritance. He's a person who is serving others that receives this eternal inheritance. Quickly look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 to verse 25. Colossians 3, verse 23. Now he says, Whatsoever you do, he was talking about the marketplace now, not even church. Whatsoever you do, because every day you go out there, you are walking, you are doing whatever it is, you are serving God directly. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Verse 24, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive of the wrong which he had done. There is no respect of person. Now put it in the Amplified. In the Amplified version, it says, from verse 23, Whatsoever may be your task, work at it heartily from your soul as something you are doing for the Lord. Because you are doing it for the Lord and not for men. If you are working in an office, you are doing it for the Lord and not all right for men. You can see that. If a person comes and they're changing their mood because of the way they behaved, you, you know, and the way they behave to you, you now change your mood, this idea of you, you don't have wisdom. Manipulation is not wisdom. What you are trying to do is to manipulate. That kind of person should be ignored completely. That's they shouldn't even behave like you're in existence. You calm down and learn wisdom. All right? So, uh, a and, person, uh, and all of that, and, and look at what he says here. He says knowing that with all certainty it is from the Lord and not from men that you will receive the inheritance. That if it's money you are going for, it's men that give money. If it's the inheritance you are going for, it's only the Lord that gives the inheritance. And what he's saying is on that job, he wants to give you wisdom and knowledge on that job that will make you produce in unusual ways in what you are doing. Do you get what we're saying here? So the lawyer who is there doing law working somewhere, all right, what will begin to happen is that God will start opening up your eyes to wisdom and knowledge in that legal profession that when you open your mouth and talk, You will win so many cases that they felt they have lost because mighty works will be wrought through you. Do you get what we're saying here? Cases where they will say it's over, you say bring it here and then you will use God's wisdom and knowledge to interpret areas in the law. Nobody has seen before, present your case there. The judge will look at you and say, what manner of man is this? Where did you get this wisdom? Can you imagine Christians functioning like this? If you are serving with your heart, not unto men that want to collect money, and you are even making, let's just say you're making furniture, you will start discovering ways you can combine steel and wood to produce things that people will look at it and say, Where did you get this idea from? A fashion designer will take pieces of material and blend them together. Nobody in the history of this world has done. They say, Where did you how did you understand this? You start doing that kind of thing. All right? Person puts up on Instagram. Next thing, global audience. Then you start seeing the fulfillment of promise. Uh, you get what I'm saying? Look at Psalm 123. As I bring this to a close. Psalm 123. It says this. It says, it says, I mean, I have to read this next week. Psalm 123 verse 1. Psalm one twenty three one. Unto you lift I up my eyes, O you that, O thou that, that dwellest in the heavens. He says, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, you can see this employment. You see this employment, eh? and the eyes of maiden to the hand of her mistress. So our eyes wait upon thee, O Lord, until you do what? Have mercy on us. In other words, the world are looking to the hand of their masters and mistresses to see what they can get, which is an increase in salary, some favor, but we are not that. Our eyes are on thee. As we are walking here, we are doing it unto you. Pay us back with your mercy. When he pays you back with his mercy, then you understand that scripture is not of him that runneth, nor of him that willeth, but it's of the Lord that showeth mercy. Now, what is that mercy? Let me show you what it is. Look at Psalm 13, verse 3 to verse 4. Psalm 13, verse 3 to verse 7. Consider and hear me, O Lord. Lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Verse 4. Lest my enemy prevail against me. What did he tell God to do? Lighten his eyes. Let him prevail, all right, against me. And those that trouble me rejoice when I'm moved. All right, next back. But I have trusted in thy word, mercy. In other words, when mercy comes, you are going to do what? Lighten my eyes. Do you see what we're saying here? Now, let me show you what happens. So you are right there on the field, working with everybody. They promote people. You are doing it with all of your heart. You don't get promoted. You know Satan wants to contaminate your own inheritance. Do you get what I'm saying that he's a, he's, he knows it's not money, it is this inheritance. Because once this inheritance enters your heart, you will overtake everybody in one. You see, you will understand that scripture that a thousand years is as a day, and a day is as a thousand years. Bishop T.D. Jake said, My life ambition, when God showed up, what I call the dream of my life, finished in four years of his presence. Four years, everything was done. I had to go and look for God. What are you saying again? in four years he said everything was done what i thought you take a hundred years was done in four you will just pam of there so he wants to contaminate that now remember the story of because of time that goes up but the story of Haggai and ishmael ishmael was first son of abraham abraham wanted to god told him he said send the bondman and your son out as far as Ishmael was concerned, okay, it's now that you'll be saying he wasn't deceived. But as far as he was concerned, he was the first son of his father. He may have even looked very much like Abraham. Huh? His father was very rich in silver and gold. The day the father would send him out, the father gave him one loaf of bread and one bottle of water. That can be offensive. You can leave. He left the house, turned around. What about the cattle? You can go. And you are not seeing me again until the day I die. This is total sending away and severance. He went three days, the water finished, the bread finished. You look around, there's nothing. But Abraham had taught Ishmael how to access the inheritance. That, listen, the way this thing works is always pressure. That that's why God had to take me out of my father's house. Any system that I can depend on will not trigger this inheritance. Get out of your father's house to the land that will show you. So he got up and Ishmael went. When it finished, the Bible tells us that Hagar put Ishmael a far way off. She didn't want to see him die. Way off. Now, look, Abraham, um, Ishmael could have been getting angry in his heart to Abraham. Uh, He didn't support me. They didn't help me. And this person, this person wasn't supposed to help me. But Ishmael, the Bible tells us that the angel appeared to Hagar and says, I heard the voice of the lad where he was. Which means God heard the voice of the lad. And the angel called unto Hagar to him and said, what a lady, fear not. God has heard the voice of who? The lad. Not her own voice. She was crying. He was praying. Because Abraham taught him. When you come to an end in yourself, pray. And that prayer should be, this is the prayer, lighten my eyes. Don't ask for another bottle of water. Ask that you might see what God has put there. Look at the next verse there. The Bible tells us, Arise, lift up the heart, hold him in thy hand, for I will make a great nation. Verse 19, And God opened her what? Eyes. And she saw a well of water there. That's why Paul prayed that the eyes of your understanding might be what? Opened up. Are you following what I'm saying there? And he saw the well of water that brought continuity for the rest of their life. So it's for your eyes to be opened up. For you to access this inheritance. Well, it's going to come in times of real provocation, all right, where you feel this and feel that and you feel this and feel that and you want to get bitter and all of that. But look, let's go to God in prayer. That which I see not, show me. That which I know not, teach me. And as droplets, that wisdom will begin to come into your soul and you begin to discover how things are to be done. Father, in the name of Jesus, pray for everyone under the sound of my voice. Wherever position they are in life at this particular point in time, grant unto them eyes that see and ears that hear. Show them deeper by the Spirit what this eternal inheritance is all about, that they may partake of it and become among the one percent that will be the head and not the tail, above only and never beneath. In Jesus' mighty name.